plots and forget-me-nots Written by Guts and Glitter Read by Literarian Chapter 8 We laugh, we fumble, we take it day by day 1990 When Aziraphale and Crowley finally did engage in funny business, Aziraphale cried. It wasn't that it was unpleasant. Quite the opposite, in fact. Crowley had been wonderful, so attentive and patient and loving, making sure he felt safe and positively cherished. But afterwards, Aziraphale felt the old doubts begin to creep in. Though he knew there wasn't actually anything wrong with what they had done, he couldn't help but feel a small measure of shame crawl down his spine, a feeling of guilt and wrongness. He'd done something he couldn't take back, burned his very last bridge, and the air of finality that accompanied it was hard to grapple with. Crowley held him as he cried. He cradled Aziraphale to his chest like he was something precious, something worthy of being treasured, and pressed kiss upon kiss to his downy blonde curls. It's all right, Angel, he said softly, stroking Aziraphale's back. We're gonna be all right. They stayed like that for several minutes, clinging to each other for dear life. But later, after Crowley had fallen into a deep sleep, Aziraphale still found himself wide awake. He hated that he had made such a spectacle of himself. He hated that what should have been such a beautiful, precious moment had to be tarnished by latent feelings of guilt and shame. There shouldn't have been anything shameful about it, especially not with Crowley. Dear, sweet Crowley. He hadn't even blinked at Aziraphale's tears, had simply held him close and let him cry himself out. He wasn't even sure Crowley enjoyed himself because he had been so focused on taking care of Aziraphale. He was always doing that, and it was getting hard for Aziraphale to believe himself worthy of such love and devotion. Was this enough for Crowley? Was Aziraphale enough for him? What would happen if he suddenly grew bored of him, decided he wanted to be with someone more experienced, someone with significantly less baggage? A chill ran down Aziraphale's spine at the very thought of it. He'd given up everything, absolutely everything for this relationship. And until that very moment, it hadn't occurred to him that he might one day lose Crowley, too. He turned on his side to look at the man in question, who was sprawled out across his side of the bed, arms and legs akimbo. 
A pale sliver of moonlight crept in from beneath the blinds, illuminating his pale, jagged features. Aziraphale reached out, tracing the freshly healed snake tattoo on Crowley's temple with an index finger. Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee, he whispered, suddenly overcome with a deep, fervent need to speak the words. He'd heard them spoken at countless weddings and sermons and Bible study sessions, but they'd never quite resonated with him like they did here in this moment. He kept his voice low, barely audible to his own ears, so as not to wake Crowley. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Aziraphale sealed his promise with a feather-light kiss to Crowley's forehead, then snuggled back down against his chest. Within minutes, he fell into a deep, if slightly uneasy, sleep. Crowley stumbled into the kitchen the next morning, bleary-eyed and pillow-crazed. Oh, good, you're awake, Aziraphale chirped. He had already been awake and dressed for hours and was now sitting at the kitchen table beside a stack of newspapers. Crowley grunted and shuffled over to plant a sleepy kiss against Aziraphale's curls. What are you doing? he mumbled, wrapping his arms around his love's shoulders and resting his chin on top of his head. I'm job hunting! Aziraphale said proudly, gesturing to the annotated help-wanted ads in front of himself. If I'm going to be staying with you long term, I'd like to start pulling my weight, so to speak, as soon as possible. Crowley sighed. <sighs> you really don't have to do that. You've been through hell and back. It's okay if you want to just... I don't know, relax for a while longer. I really don't mind taking on the extra shifts at the pub. Aziraphale gave a minute shake of his head and lifted his hands to rest on Crowley's forearms. You're sweet to say that. Not sweet. It's tough and manly, wanting to provide for you. Aziraphale smiled. Of course, dear. Even so, I think it's best that I try to get out and adjust to civilian life as soon as possible. And that starts with my finding a job. He thought it best to leave out the part about his panic spiral the night before, the tiny nugget of worry that had lodged itself beneath his breastbone when he realized how precarious his situation was. Crowley was silent for several minutes, 
and for a second Aziraphale wondered if he had nodded off. Finally, he sighed. <sighs> All right, whatever you say. He untangled himself from Aziraphale and plopped down in the chair opposite. What sort of civilian jobs were you looking at? Well, originally I had thought about becoming a librarian, Aziraphale said, shuffling through the pages in front of him. But it seems you need a degree in library sciences for that. So then I thought about working in a bookshop, but no one seems to be hiring. And then I saw this, he said, handing Crowley a torn-out ad. Crowley wrinkled his nose. Florist's assistant? Do you even know anything about flowers? Aziraphale shrugged. I know quite a bit about Victorian floriography, which must count for something. But it says no experience needed. Which is code for the pay is shit. Aziraphale snatched the ad back. Everyone has to start somewhere, he said primly. Now, what would you like for breakfast? I was thinking crepes. Elsie and Co. Arrangements was a tiny, hole-in-the-wall shop that had only stayed afloat by the sheer grace of God and a handful of devoted regulars. Its proprietor and namesake was a tiny Irish woman with a sweet smile and an encyclopedic memory for floral varieties and episodes of casualty. She and her husband Patrick had first opened the shop shortly after the war and they had run it together up until 1972 when he'd been struck and killed by a lorry. She had been running it by herself ever since, but her arthritis had recently grown to be debilitating, which precipitated her need for an assistant. She hired Aziraphale on the spot, not caring a whit about his lack of CV. You've a good heart, I can tell, she said after his interview, which was less of an actual interview and more of her serving him tea and showing him pictures of Patrick. That's all that matters, really. It was good that she genuinely believed that, because he was terrible at floral arrangements in the beginning. Really, truly horrendous. He had no sense of color palettes whatsoever, and he was disappointed to learn that his knowledge of Victorian floriography was not nearly as useful as he had expected. But Elsie was patient. She couldn't do the arrangements herself, but she was perfectly happy to sit on a stool beside Aziraphale and walk him through the process. Don't go too wild with it, dear. No more than five types of flowers or greens in an arrangement, otherwise it just looks a mess. Cut the stems at an angle, it'll help them absorb water better. Tuck a sprig of basil in, just for luck. Poor boy says he's proposing tonight, looks like he needs all the help he can get. 
In time, Azi Raphael got better. He started to understand which blooms went together and which ones clashed, when to use a filler and when to stay minimalist. Elsie began letting him assemble arrangements without supervision, and he learned to stop fearing a Gabrielesque reprimand when he made a mistake. It was a far cry from providing spiritual counsel to the injured and ill, but he grew to love it all the same. Nineteen ninety one. Angel, come in here. Azir Raphael frowned and looked up from his copy of Middlemarch. What is it? A surprise. Come in here. Azir Raphael glanced up at the clock and realized he'd completely lost track of time. Crowley had been in the bathroom for the better part of two hours, which didn't seem to bode well. And Crowley knew full well that he loathed surprises. Still, he dutifully set down his book, then crossed to the bathroom door and knocked. The door swung open, revealing a smug-looking Crowley with his hands behind his back. The small counter beside the sink was littered with scraps of paper, bits of gauze and tape, tiny black stained needles and a pair of bright purple rubber gloves. Aziraphale's eyebrows shot towards his hairline. What's all this? Crowley beamed. I got a stick and poke kit today he said, nodding towards the mess on the counter. Dagan said it would be good practice outside of just using the gun on oranges and pigskin. After getting his sleeve done, Crowley had developed a near-obsessive interest in tattoo art. It had become just about all he could talk about. At Aziraphale's urging, he had started an apprenticeship at a seedy local shop, which had only fueled his obsession even more. Now he removed his hands from behind his back and held out his left forearm to reveal the tiny black outline of a daisy that now graced the inner crook of his elbow. What do you think? he asked almost shyly. Aziraphale gasped and reached out, then hesitated. Is it uh, dry? Can I touch it? Course, Crowley said, shuffling forward. Aziraphale traced his index finger across the tiny petals. It's quite good, he said. And so even, I'm impressed. But why was that the first design you tried? Crowley cocked his head to the side. It's a daisy. I can see that, but why? Crowley scrubbed his free hand across the back of his neck. Well, cause they're your favorite flower, yeah? And you're my favorite, well... Everything, really. 
something soft and warm bubbled up in Aziraphale's core. You soppy old thing, you, he said, beaming. Crowley sniffed. Yeah, well, don't go spreading that around. Got a reputation to maintain. Wouldn't dream of it. Aziraphale smiled and pressed a delicate kiss to the centre of the daisy. Crowley blushed. Do you like it, then? Oh, my darling, I love it. And you. Nineteen ninety four. Aziraphale was in the back room, finishing an Alstromeria arrangement when the bell above the shop's door chimed. Morning, dearie, how can I help you? Uh, yeah, is Aziraphale in? Thought I'd bring him some lunch. The blonde's stomach dropped. Kind as she was, Elsie still didn't know about Crowley, and Aziraphale had rather hoped to keep it that way. He dropped the bouquet and hurried to the storefront, where Crowley was standing with a takeaway bag from their favourite Indian restaurant. Oh, thanks very much, dear fellow, he said quickly, taking the proffered bag. Elsie, this is Anthony, my flatmate he said. He didn't miss the flicker of curiosity that crossed Elsie's face, nor the one of disappointment on Crowley's. That made Aziraphale's stomach turn. He knew Crowley would understand that it wasn't worth hanging his employment future on the tolerance, or lack thereof, of a pensioner, but that didn't make it any easier. Crowley stuffed his hands in his pockets and gave a jerky nod. Uh, yeah, yeah, right, well, I'll just be going then, he said. He hesitated a moment, then turned on his heel and exited the shop. Elsie moved to the front window to catch a last glimpse of him before he disappeared around the corner. The shop was quiet quieter than usual. Aziraphale fiddled with the takeaway bag, which was warm and smelled of lamp He knew when he opened it he would also find a double order of naan and a container of writer. Crowley had all of his go-to orders memorized, like the dear, sweet thing he was. Elsie finally broke the silence, still staring out the window. He's your flatmate? Ah, yes, has been for about three years now. He's quite a handsome one. Aziraphale cleared his throat and began fussing with the lip of the bag. Is he? I didn't, uh, wouldn't really notice that sort of thing as if anyone would be able to not notice how devastatingly attractive Crowley was. Just two days prior, Aziraphale had watched a woman walk straight into a lamppost after catching sight of him. 
He had that effect on people everywhere they went, regardless of gender or relationship status. Elsie turned to him, raising a silvered eyebrow. Really? Aziraphale felt his cheeks flame. I... well... Pity, she said, cutting him off. She turned to look out the window once more. I think you two would make a lovely couple. Aziraphale's jaw dropped. Of all the reactions he had anticipated, that was absolutely the last one he had expected. Oh, I... well, to be perfectly honest, we sort of are. A couple. The lovely part is debatable, but uh, yes. Elsie turned back to him, eyes twinkling. Thought so. Bring him round for dinner on Friday. He looks like he could use a nice home-cooked meal. When Aziraphale returned home that evening, Crowley was sat at the kitchen table, furiously scratching away on his sketchpad. He didn't look up at the sound of the door closing, nor at the soft steps padding across the kitchen floor. Aziraphale hesitated, unsure if he was allowed to reach out. He could see the white knuckle grip Crowley had on his pencil, could see the vague hint of pain on his face. Hello, darling. Hey. Aziraphale folded his hands in front of his stomach and shifted from foot to foot. I didn't get a chance to properly thank you for lunch, he said with a false cheery tone. That was terribly sweet of you. Don't mention it. He didn't even flinch at the word sweet, which was always a bad sign. Aziraphale swallowed. I'm sorry that I... Don't. But I... Crowley let out a frustrated sigh and dropped his pencil. Ugh. Aziraphale, seriously, you don't have to. I get it. You were at work, I made you uncomfortable, and it was stupid of me. He scrubbed a hand down his face. If anything, I should be apologizing to you. Aziraphale's stomach dropped. Don't you dare, he said quietly. He cupped Crowley's cheek and tilted his head so they could make proper eye contact. Crowley closed his eyes, exhaling slowly through his nose. It was stupid. I could have cost you your job. There are worse reasons to be fired, Aziraphale said, running his thumb across Crowley's cheekbone. And if the world were a kinder place, I would have grabbed you and snuck the daylights out of you right on the spot. Crowley opened his eyes, expression softening. Yeah? Aziraphale smiled. 
I mean it. You don't know how difficult it is to walk down the street beside you and not scream to every passing stranger about how completely and utterly besotted I am with you. Crowley smirked and reached forward, wrapping his arms around Aziraphale's hips. Burrowing his face in the soft, tweed-clad stomach, he huffed a laugh. <laughs> I feel the same way, Angel. They stayed like that for several minutes, with Crowley snuggling close and Aziraphale carding his hands through his hair. Someday, he thought, someday we won't have to be discreet and I'll be able to call you mine in public. That thought reminded him of his second item of business. I should mention I actually did end up telling Elsie how besotted I am with you, he said, tracing his index finger along Crowley's hairline. She thinks we make a lovely couple. Crowley's eyes popped open. What? Way to bury the lead, Angel. Aziraphale shrugged. I'm sorry, it didn't seem as important as apologizing to you. She's invited us round to dinner this Friday. Crowley groaned and released Aziraphale, flopping back in his chair. I suppose you've already said we'll be there with bells on. Ignoring the fact that those had been his exact words, Aziraphale pursed his lips. I have, and you're not backing out. It was a lovely gesture on her part. Crowley pulled a face and slumped further in his chair. Fine, but just this once, okay? Don't think for a second that this is going to turn into some kind of thing. Friday night dinner did turn into a thing. A long-standing and much-beloved thing for all parties involved. Elsie would cook dinner for her boys, who in turn took to helping her with odd jobs. Changing light bulbs, taking out the trash, organizing her VHS recordings of Casualty in chronological order. It warmed Aziraphale's heart to see how well Crowley and Elsie got along. She delighted in his acerbic wit and he loved her stories and impromptu botany lessons. They were the two most important people in Aziraphale's life and to be able to spend time like this, the three of them together, was a joy. One of the things he had loved best about the church was the sense of community it had given him, and when he left the seminary, he had worried he would lose that forever. But the sense of belonging he felt when he was with the two of them was so much stronger and so much better than anything he had felt while he was at Allen Hall. It was acceptance. It was love. It was family. (music) 
1998. What do you think? Aziraphale asked breathlessly. Crowley glanced up at the building in front of them, noting the for lease sign in the window. I think it looks like an empty storefront. But it doesn't have to be empty for long. It's going for a very reasonable price. I spoke to the estate agent this morning when she came by to hang up the sign. Crowley looked from Aziraphale to the shop, then back to Aziraphale, clearly not getting it. Aziraphale laid a hand on his arm. Darling, you've been talking about opening your own shop for years now, he said quietly. Crowley's eyes widened, and Aziraphale could feel his bicep tighten beneath the fabric of his jacket. Oh, Angel, I don't think... You'd be able to get a small business loan easily, Aziraphale continued. Elsie says she's willing to be a guarantor for you if need be, and the local business owners association is keen to get someone in here. They're not fond of empty shop fronts. Crowley opened his mouth to respond, then closed it, then opened it again. He spluttered out a few disjointed syllables, then grimaced and scratched the back of his neck. Christ, I don't know, Angel. Sort of a lot to process. I understand, Aziraphale said, squeezing his arm gently. They were still out on the street, so he didn't want to chance anything more in the way of public affection. But think about it, won't you? This could be the opportunity you've been waiting for. Plus, you'd be ever so close to me he added, gesturing to Elsie's shop across the street. Crowley smirked. Why, Angel, you wouldn't happen to have an ulterior motive here, would you? Perish the thought. Crowley snickered and looked back to the shop front, which he had to admit was looking more and more appealing by the second. All right, all right. I promise I'll think about it. But don't get your hopes up. I don't think there's any way they'd let me put a tattoo parlor in here. Nineteen ninety nine, two thousand. Crowley and Aziraphale had it all planned out. They would ring in the new millennium in Paris. They'd hired a snake-sitter for Alistair, booked an obscenely nice hotel room, bought several bottles of champagne, and scoped out the best places to watch the fireworks from. But Crowley had developed a truly spectacular migraine less than an hour after they'd checked into the hotel, and he had spent the rest of the evening alternating between vomiting and lying on the bed in the fetal position. He faded in and out of fitful sleep for hours, thrashing in the starched hotel sheets and trying to stifle his tiny cries of pain in the eiderdown pillows. 
Aziraphale fussed and fluttered around him, trying to help whilst making no noise. He never knew quite what to do when Crowley was having a particularly bad attack, and it made him sick to his stomach to see his love in so much pain. Eventually, his silent pacing was interrupted when he passed too close to the bed and Crowley reached out and grabbed his sleeve. Angel. Aziraphale cupped Crowley's hand in both of his own. How are you feeling? Like there's an ice pick in my left temple, Crowley muttered. He scooted back on the bed to make room and gave his hands an insistent tug. Come here. Aziraphale sat down on the bed and leaned against the headrest. Would you like me to try the acupressure that the doctor showed us? He asked, moving his fingers along the tendons of Crowley's wrist. I think I remember how to do it. No, Crowley scooted forward, wrapping his arms around Aziraphale's plush thigh and pressing his face to the faded corduroy. Just stay. Aziraphale ran a hand through his hair, smoothing the scarlet strands away from his forehead. Of course, always. The dawn of the new millennium saw them both fast asleep, curled around each other in the centre of the enormous bed. Outside on the streets of Paris, people cheered and kissed and sang beneath a blinding display of candy-coloured pyrotechnics. Inside the hotel room, Crowley snuffled softly in his sleep, and Aziraphale unconsciously tightened his protective grip. Two thousand and three. Elsie's funeral was on a rainy Tuesday in May. It was the first time Aziraphale had been inside a church in years. Part of him almost wondered whether the consecrated ground would scorch his feet. But no, he was allowed passage into the chapel, as was a very nervous-looking Crowley. There were just a few other mourners dotting the oak pews, mostly shop regulars and members of the WI. He and Crowley settled into the second pew alongside an elderly couple he didn't recognize who were already kneeling, whispering over their rosaries. Crowley reached for his hand, moving to twine their fingers together as he had a thousand times before. Aziraphale froze. His eyes slid to the altar, to the crucifix on the wall, to the elderly couple. Best not, he said, removing his hand from Crowley's. I'm sorry, love, but not here. Crowley pursed his lips into a thin line, but said nothing. He turned his head back to the pulpit with an inscrutable look on his face. 
The service was uneventful and somewhat impersonal, save for Aziraphale's reading of Christina Rossetti's Remember. It hurt his head to be behind the pulpit once more, staring out into the open faces of a congregation, though he chose to focus on one face in particular. Crowley tipped his sunglasses down just a fraction so they could make proper eye contact, which Aziraphale held like a lifeline. When you can no more hold me by the hand, nor I half turn to go, yet turning stay. Remember me when no more day by day you tell me of our future that you planned. They followed the hearse to the cemetery, where they were joined by the elderly couple, whom Aziraphale learned were Elsie's distant cousins, and a tall, dour-looking man with a briefcase whom Aziraphale did not recognize. The priest spoke a few familiar words and scattered a handful of dirt over the simple made coffin, and then it was over. As the priest and the cousins made their way out, Aziraphale remained where he was, rooted in place. He felt lost, adrift in a way he hadn't been in a very long time. Elsie and the flower shop had been such a staple in his life, a foundation upon which he built his life with Crowley, and in a moment they had both been snatched away from him. Where would he work? Who would he go to for advice? What were they going to do on Friday nights now? Crowley seemed to understand the existential crisis that was at hand. He stood by Aziraphale's side, not touching, but close enough so that his presence could be felt. A few moments later, his reverie was broken by a polite cough. He turned to see the man with the briefcase, who now looked much kinder than he had a few minutes prior. I do apologize for the interruption, but are you by any chance Mr. Fell? Aziraphale opened his mouth to answer, but Crowley cut him off. Who's asking? My apologies. The man bowed his head slightly. I'm Peter Kingdom, from Kingdom and Kingdom. I'm the solicitor for Elsie Broadbent's estate. Aziraphale felt Crowley begin to relax slightly. Right, yes, I'd been planning on ringing your office first thing Monday morning, he said. I'm afraid I'm not sure how in order her affairs were, so if you need keys to the shop or the flat, you're welcome to have my set. Won't be needing them anymore, I suppose. Peter shook his head slowly. No, that's what I've come to speak to you about. You will be needing them. Or I suppose not. The choice is yours. Aziraphale frowned. Pardon? Peter reached into his briefcase and retrieved a small sheaf of papers, which he handed to Aziraphale. It appears you were the sole individual beneficiary of Miss Broadbent's estate. She's left a small sum to the Royal Horticultural Society, but the deeds for the shop and the flat are yours. 
Well, she specifically said the flat was for you and your young man, who I would assume is... He gestured towards Crowley. Aziraphale nodded, dazed. This is my partner, Anthony. Without thinking, he reached out his free hand and settled it on the small of Crowley's back, instinctively seeking out his comforting warmth and solidity. Peter smiled warmly. Anthony, as I was saying, she owned the building, had done since the mid-sixties. She's left you the deed and requested that the business license be transferred to your name. Aziraphale stared blankly at the papers in front of him, unable to process the words on the page. He ran his thumb across Elsie's shaky signature in the bottom left corner. I... He didn't know how to finish that sentence, or if he had intended to finish it in the first place. He distantly heard Peter say something about discussing the particulars the following week, and heard himself agreeing. Satisfied, Peter said his goodbyes and made his way out of the cemetery towards an immaculate Elvis coupé. Crowley whistled softly. Hell of a car, he said. Aziraphale didn't respond. Couldn't respond. Angel? Aziraphale blinked up at him slowly, trying to coral his thoughts into something coherent. I have a flower shop, he said eventually. The sentence felt curious on his tongue, unfamiliar and not quite right. Crowley puffed out his cheeks and exhaled slowly. Looks like it. And a flat. Yep. And a headache. Aziraphale pinched the bridge of his nose and sighed. Not surprised. It's been a long day, Crowley said. Come on, Angel. Let's go home. Aziraphale cast one last look at Elsie's casket and nodded. He took Crowley's arm and allowed himself to be led out of the cemetery towards a future that seemed much more certain than it had just a few minutes prior.